1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because
0: nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG 13.
0: Football season is here, and it's time to bet with my bookie. Use promo code GATERS and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me for this episode, as he will, all season long on Monday nights, is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at will Miles sec, and his site, ReadAndReaction.com. Will, man, it, uh, we can't say it enough. Oh, I can't say it enough. Saturday was so much fun. I, I know... The, the offense was fun. They had the fireworks there. The defense left some people frustrating, whatever. But, man, we were watching our floor together to play some football.
1: Yeah, man, and, and the noon start made for it to be sort of a unique uh, a unique weekend, right? Because usually, I mean, an SEC tilt, especially early in the game, is usually going to get the seven o'clock or seven or eight o'clock treatment, and to have the game start at noon and then have the rest of the day to to watch Georgia struggle in the first half and see what was going on with LSU and Mississippi State, and just sort of you know to already be sitting back and, and feeling feeling like you'd gotten that win, um, you know, honestly, as as the other teams struggled, it w- it made the Florida game seem even more significant right that to be able to come out and get a win in that first game and and uh you know, we were, we were complaining for the last decade that Florida didn't score enough points. Well, that doesn't appear to be a problem anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, got, we got the opposite. We got going on right now, at least for one game. You know, and uh, well, that's the thing about week one. I mean, look, I remember going week one last year, Florida-Miami, 24-20 final game. And it was like, oh, you know, this offense is in trouble. You know, it, it may have been the Felipe France that continued to be the start or whatever. But that's, you know, it, it, it didn't work out that way. The offense took off with contrast of course. And look, I also remember saying after game one, hey, that Miami team's going to be pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> whoops. <laughs>
1: well, well, I remember two years ago, you and Bill went to the Kentucky game together. Yeah. And then like had a mopey periscope on the way home from, the, I mean, it was just sad listening to that periscope on the way back from the game because, you know, yep. like, oh, if we lost this Kentucky team, you know, yeah, we're going to be seven and six. It's more the same. And,
0: they can't block. They can't
1: tackle. Man. <laughs> well, so it turns out that Mullen kind of does know what he's doing and yep. that after he sees things that, that go wrong, he seems to have an ability to correct them obviously i'm sure that was a large part of what his press conference was today was talking about the things that that could improve but you know the more you look around college football i mean oklahoma dropped a game to kansas yep. state they should have won you know we saw it earlier in the in the a couple of weeks ago with iowa state dropping
0: a game to louisiana i think it was so you already brought you it know, up there the reigning national champions going down i mean
1: yeah, but I mean, that's not really the reigning national championships, national champions. There's nobody left on the team. <laughs> that's, why I, wait, wait. that's why I
0: say reigning and not defending. <laughs> there, there, there is a clarification there. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, there you go. Well, well
0: Orgeron's, Orgeron's going full with
1: Will mustchamp saying he's going to get it fixed. And I was like, oh, that's the kiss of death. I hope the uh, I hope the people in the Bayou realize what they're getting into because... Uh, You know, sort of, they mortgage the future. This is like one of those sports organizations that mortgages their future to fly a flag. But you know what? You get to fly the flag, so it was worth it at LSU. But but I'm going to enjoy, um, hopefully, having a successful a a successful run at LSU this year, where it's not you know the last three seconds and turns on a fake field
0: goal. Tell you one thing. One more thing. We'll get into Gator stuff, of course, here. But one more thing that Mississippi State win did against LSU. Um. Hey, it made Georgia's schedule look even it, it, tough. You know, tough, tough again. I mean, we thought you know Florida caught a break uh, a bit with the the original schedule, and then when they come out with the ten game SEC schedule, I was like, oh, Georgia caught a break with uh, Mississippi State uh, and and Arkansas there. Well, you know, now uh, Mississippi State game looks uh, looks looks a lot tougher than it did uh, two weeks ago.
1: Well, it is amazing, you know, that uh, Dewan Mathis doesn't look very good, and JT Daniels' knee immediately, immediately looks yeah. low, is, is better. He <laughs> got cleared today, so I mean, you know, Daniels is the guy that I'm concerned about. I've re- I wrote about that last week. That I think his pedigree indicates he might be really, really good, but at the same time, we haven't seen him play for Georgia yet, and and. Uh, You know, this is such a weird season. I think that's one of the things we've already discovered in week Mm -hmm. one is it's just such an odd season, and it's unclear whether continuity is going to matter more, whether talent level is going to matter more, or whether it's just going to be one of those things where – you know, the team that happens to either avoid the injury bug or avoid the COVID bug ends up being the team that, that, that makes it through. I mean, geez, Virginia Tech was missing 23 guys this weekend and like six coaches
0: and then went out and just laid the wood on NC State. Oh, well, so. and, the, and the other upset, Kansas State was losing a bunch of players and ends up upsetting Oklahoma. Yeah, So, you know, I mean, the
1: if we've learned anything over the past two decades, it's that college football is incredibly unpredictable. But it has gotten reasonably predictable over the last four or five years just because of Alabama and Clemson up to yeah. the top. You know, and, and while I wish ill on Miami, I am actually looking forward to the fact that now with Miami, Notre Dame and Clemson in the ACC, that Clemson's actually going to have to beat somebody decent um, and, you know, of course, that also means Clemson gets to play Florida State, which could be interesting. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, you lose by forty-two to your to your main rival. I, I'm not sure that it can get much worse in Tallahassee,
0: even if they're playing Clemson. Ooh, man, yeah, they, that team, that team out west got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. And, uh, they ain't getting it fixed this year. I can tell you that much. But uh, uh, I don't
1: know. We, we got Gator fans on 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 Twitter feeling sorry for them. I'm like, it's too early in the season to feel <laughs> sorry for them. Feel sorry for them when they're zero and six and they've already guaranteed that four and six season. We're going to be able to troll them for for the next decade. But uh, you know, I, one and nine
0: no. or one and ten, whatever it is. I don't know. That's the ACC's eleven. Well, I mean, games, hey, yeah. they, you know that? Are they playing an FBS
1: opponent? Is yeah, they, they got Jacksonville, Jacksonville State?
0: State this weekend. Yep.
1: Eh, you know, that's uh, that's not a. I think they played them tough a, a couple years ago. If I'm that's not. It's not a cakewalk yeah. these days. You know, if uh, if uh, if things don't get righted there, so yeah, it's it, you know, hey, it could be a lot worse than giving up a yes. few points to, to Old Miss. So we'll, we'll take it. We'll we'll look at the things that can improve. But certainly, I think. A win in the SEC is, is an important step, especially on the road. That's one of the things I did write about this week is that the upsets occurred at home, right? Oklahoma lost mm-hmm. at home. LSU lost at home. So to be able to go on the road and put together a 16-point victory... Um, you know, the spread was 14 for a reason, right? I mean, if it was 34 to 20 and the offense had sort of exploded in the second half, we've been like, oh, this is great. It's only because it was a high scoring affair on both sides that people get concerned. I, I get that. I get that. There are reasons to to look at that and say, oh boy, is that a bad omen? But at the same time, a win is a win. And there are other teams that can't say that coming off of week one.
0: Yep. All right. Well, a little bit of housekeeping first. Um, I wasn't able to, to go back. Somebody asked recently, the Gator light up. Sign behind your head one more time. Throw out the link and all that stuff because it it has been it has been requested. Oh well, good. I'm glad people
1: like it. So it's myprinceinc.com. Uh, The owner's name is Steven Marino. If you email him or call him, so he doesn't have like, he doesn't do custom Gator stuff. He does custom work. He's just a, he's a good friend of mine. So if you, uh, if you contact him and say, Hey, I want that sign that's behind Will's fat head, then uh, you know, he should be able to hook you up. Or if you want something that's custom, right? So this is my picture that that he put up on a, uh, on a backlit sign. So you can do any kind of picture that you've got um, that you have the copyright to, he can print it out for you and put it on there. So it's kind of cool. My, my kids enjoy coming down and turning it on and uh speeding it
0: up so i get a seizure when they turn up the uh when they turn up the speed too fast (laughs) we'll get some graphics made and stuff of our of course to help our to help our friend out there but yeah some requests were were made to get uh, more info uh, on that so hopefully uh hopefully hopefully that takes off a little bit to continue the uh to continue the uh, same thought there ebay.com slash str slash gators breakdown for your gators breakdown merchandise um Got some, uh, a, a new one coming out as well, a new t-shirt design I'm working on right now. So ebay.com slash STR slash Gators Breakdown is where you can find your Gators Breakdown merchandise. And remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as News 4 Jack's coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. Subscribe on YouTube and hit that like button if you're watching us live on YouTube right now, or whenever you're watching on YouTube. Hit that like button; it really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. And check us out on your favorite podcast platform as well. And follow Gators Breakdown on social media and uh, well, social media on Twitter and Facebook. At Gators breakdown. So well, I mean, yeah, this was the uh, we're looking at. Uh, you know, this is Monday night we're recording, and of course, you know, you always, uh, especially at the beginning of the season, and 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 when you know, Florida had a good chance of being talked about a lot. They absolutely were. I was listening to to, to Bill. I'm on the Bill King show every Tuesday, but I listen to Bill anyway, and you know, he talked about the Kyle and Kyle connection, and SEC Network, and uh, uh, other podcasts out there, and. Even uh, going back yesterday and watching ESPNU and SEC Network and, and their review shows, I mean, Kyle and Kyle, Kyle to Kyle was, you know, out there in, in full force and for, for good reason, Will. I mean, it was one of the biggest stories in, in, in the country as the SEC kicked off. and. From the get-go, will I mean drive one? The offense is in sync. Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts is in sync, and uh, I mean it. Uh, and it led to a record-setting day for for both of these for, for both of these players here. And and I think that, you know it speaks a lot here too. I think you know kind of for this offense and, and these two players that really have the spotlight on them in this Gator offense to kind of just pick up where they left off last year and also maybe even, you know, catapulted their play at least through the first game of twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, I mean the offense was unbelievable, right? I mean, the they only had two drives where they didn't score. It was the one play interception that Emory Jones threw up that was a bad decision. But you know, Nick DeLaTorre's sort of,
0: crying; he didn't get to see enough punting.
1: <laughs> he really was. I tweeted at him during the game. He seemed he seemed heartbroken. And then they had a right after the interception, they scored a touchdown. And then the drive after that, they had a five play drive where they then had to punt. And the punt came because they threw a little uh, a little screen pass to shorter, and he wasn't quite able to get the first down. So other than that, they were scored if they had the ball. And and I mean, at the end of the day, they were just toying with Ole Miss. You could tell, right? I mean, it, it almost felt like when they went up thirty-five to fourteen, that the defense sort of you know took its foot off the gas. And so then the offense was like, all right, I guess we have to come back out here and score again and, and just kept pouring it on. So, um, you know, again, it's funny. If the game had ended 38-21, to you know, like it was halfway through the third quarter, everybody would have felt great about it. Um, the, f- the fact that it ends up 51-35. But again, that that last touchdown, a 16-play drive for Ole Miss, if they don't punch it in and it ends up 51-28, do we feel differently? Um, you know, I, I do think that there's a little bit of uh, – um, you know, the 600 yards that Ole Miss got, much of it was earned, but a fair amount of it was stuff that Florida was okay giving up at the end, just because you know they didn't necessarily care about giving up yardage; they just wanted to burn clock.
0: Yeah, you could probably say you know 500 of it, you know, around 500 of it was you know in in game-like situation and really testing the the, the Florida defense. That you the Florida defense did have trouble stopping. I do agree with you late in the game. It was kind of out of hand, and, and, and Florida was okay. We were giving up yards there at the end. It just looked very similar to everything before that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you it was a good defensive yeah, performance. Right. But going, going back to Trask and Pitts, I mean, this
1: is sort of the culmination of what we thought we would be able to see from Kyle from Kyle Pitts. I mean, he just wouldn't... You know, everybody's going to be like, oh, Trask did a great job reading the defenses. And in some respects, they're true. But I mean, that touchdown pass he threw up into double coverage where Pitts just essentially ripped it away from the cornerback. I mean, that was just I'm going to Pitts no matter what, because he's going to go get the ball. And, you know, Florida hasn't had a guy like that who has who they have targeted that extensively in a really long time.
0: Yeah. It's a different skill set than some of the guys that Florida has had in the past. But The I mean, best playmaker since Antonio Callaway, for sure. And you put him in a different offense, and he's taken off uh, as well. But if you just want to go a guy they can get the ball to and make something happen, I mean, Pitts is that guy San Antonio Callaway.
1: Yeah, but even still, I mean, you know, you, you, yes, they got the ball to to Pitts eight times, but Grimes had three catches, mm-hmm. Tony had five, Copeland had three, Malik Davis had three, really looking a lot. There was actually one play I diagrammed on my YouTube channel maybe a week or two ago that they ran for Davis and Pitts, and last year they had run it for P. Ryan and Pitts. Whittemore had three catches, Naquan Wright had the one catch where he juke guys for 25 yards, Zipper made an appearance, um, Xavier Henderson, Shorter had two catches, Pierce had a catch, so one they spread the ball around an awful lot but they still focused you know Pitts Grimes and Tony had the lion's share of the catches and the lion's share of the yards when it came to uh when it came to the offense so you know, while Trask was doing a great job of spreading it around, they also made sure they were targeting the guys that they knew they needed to target in order to move the ball. Um, you know, I kind of half jokingly messaged you in the middle of the game, going, Geez, I hope Pitts doesn't go
0: pro after the <laughs> yeah. game." He, I mean, I'm not sure he's going to be able to increase his draft stock anymore. <laughs> he did. He did meet. He's he met with the media as of like 30 minutes ago, so he's still good to go. <laughs> well, this
1: is good. I mean, I, I, can, I can I can settle down then a little bit. I mean, yeah, with all the guys who were opting yeah. out, that did flash through my mind that. You know, if, if you put up a performance like that and basically secure yourself being a top draft pick, um, there's not a whole lot that Kyle Pitts needs to prove to anybody, um, but – man, it was impressive, right? I mean, the, the the long touchdown pass was sort of the one thing Florida didn't do in the first half mm-hmm. is they didn't have any real deep shots and then they come out and they throw a little screen pass to Tony and then the next play um, Trask audibles out of the play that they were in. He made he made an adjustment based on the defense and then decided that uh, that Pitts was his best option. It looked like he probably could have hit Grimes streaking yep, on the side short of <laughs>
0: But but uh, you know,
1: that is sort of indicative of the defense that Florida was playing against. And I think that is one thing we need to take into consideration is Ole Miss was a poor pass defense last year but they've been a poor pass defense for the better part of the decade and so when you factor in that this is what we should expect this offense to do right they've got a senior quarterback they have a first round nfl tight end um you know i I think uh, you look at grimes and you figure he should be you know mid-round talent maybe if he just sort of plays like he did last year Kadarius tony maybe not an nfl wide receiver at least not high draft pick but certainly has skills that are unique to the uh you know, unique to the college game, and and then Copeland is, is a really big dude out there too. So you, you start putting those guys out there. There are plenty of weapons, and and Trask was able to exploit it.
0: In command and in control, Will. That was the thing I I took away from it. Didn't seem like a lot of whole a lot a lot of the hesitation that you know that we saw in points last year, and and I know you mentioned it in your article too, and being able to move up in the pocket and and, and go back to the Auburn game last year and in the Tennessee game as well when he when he just took over and you could tell that the newness was still there and, and the awareness in the pocket holding on to the ball too long that wasn't there if he did hold on to the ball he found a way to step up in the pocket or run to his right or run to his left and make throws happen I mean he was just in control all, all the game. so you know even the the, the pure pass defense of Ole Miss was bad even when they did get pressure or or, or 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 got too close to Trask he was able to, to just to still make something happen with subtle steps subtle movements and uh you know show some control uh in, in there so he'll go with um you know Mullen of course did have his uh, press conference uh on, on Monday as well and uh, he kind of talked about, you know, he was asked about Tras getting some Heisman talk, and uh, Melon said, "Yeah, make sure he builds, it he keeps building on that." Then thinks uh, he, he thinks he can get a lot better uh, after they went through some things on film, uh, and he said, "Look, if Tras likes the attention, he just has to keep doing what he's doing. If he doesn't, go out there throw three picks, and they won't talk about him anymore." So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, first of all, they will talk about you because they've already talked about you a good bit. They'll talk about you playing bad too. So <laughs> that, that's just the, the nature of the beast here, but. Uh, you know, saying uh, also that now you know he's been on the big stage. Now it's kind of going back to my point of, of having some experience, kind of knowing what to do. Just, everything's not new to him uh, in, anymore. So he respects the position he's in. It doesn't take it for granted. Uh, may not have six touchdown passes every week, but most importantly, uh, he has a he. he does a good job. And kind of going to your point, with the facilitator of managing the game and then taking the big plays when the big plays were there and, and being accurate now. So um, yeah, never worried about being a starter before. He's always just worried about improving uh, and getting better. And I think, you know, we've seen plenty of evidence for that just kind of coming in last year with what he did. Uh, now that he's a starter, he expects more of the same on that. Mullen said Trash deserves a ton of credit for how fast he made decisions and getting it to the right player.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that's been impressive about him over the last couple of years. You mentioned the Auburn game, the Tennessee game, where he didn't necessarily hold on to the ball very well. One of the things I thought was really interesting, and this this came from SEC StatCat, but you know, going to his site, Trask was seven of eleven under pressure for seventy nine yards, but he was only sacked once. And last year he was fifty four of eighty one, but he was sacked twenty two times in situations where he was under pressure when he dropped back to pass. So that's thirteen and a half percent of the time he. Was went down for a sack when he was under pressure versus four and a half against Ole Miss so you can say well Ole Miss didn't necessarily get a pass rush but when they did Mm -hmm. he was able to get rid of the ball and he was able to get rid of the ball and get it to where it needed to go and then the other thing is is that the offensive line is better Right and the I'm not sure you know we don't have the Alabama offensive line. This isn't an offensive line. This just could be able to road grade to 350 yards. But I'd actually be really surprised if Florida doesn't have a game this year where they go for 280, 290 yards on the ground, because I saw some things were really, really promising on the offensive line. The, the play to pits where Pierce picked up the blitz oh, yeah. was an unbelievable blitz pickup. I mean, he just absolutely stoned the guy and put him right on his butt. So. If they're already doing those sorts of things, right, if they're, there were a couple of stunts that they missed, DeLance and and Reese in particular looked a little bit tentative. The left side of the line looked fantastic. So, you know, if, if the right side picks up, and I think you expect that to happen as Reese gets a little bit more continuity with the offensive line, potentially Ethan White coming back as well, um, you know, Trask, you sort of knew it was over for Old Miss on his first throw of the game where he dropped <laughs> back, they rushed three guys, you know, and all of a sudden he's got to pick apart the zone. And you're like, you know, if they can't cover Florida's receivers when they've got that deep zone and Trask is going to pick the right spot, they're in for a world of hurt because... Um, you know, he goes to the right spot with the ball. That is what is that is what he has done since he came in against Kentucky, is all of a sudden the receivers just magically get open. Well, no, he's throwing to the guy who's in the one on one matchup and he's been doing it ever since he started and and he's doing more of it. There were a few things from a nuanced perspective that I thought he got better at, there was one play in particular where Kadarius Tony was coming across the middle and he sort of backpedaled because he saw his offensive lineman get beat and it gave him just, or he felt his offensive lineman get beat and it gave him just an extra beat to be able to deliver the ball to Tony in a position where Tony could get a first down. That's something we didn't see last year and being able to see that I think is indicative of you know, one of the things that you expect with a quarterback who has been off for as long as Trask has been off is that he's going to start adding something each year to his game in the offseason. So it's a good sign to see that a guy who was a very good quarterback for Florida last year. You know, has made some improvements. I don't think he's going to throw for six touchdowns every week. I still don't think that the Burrow comparisons are probably appropriate. But you know what? You, you go out and you throw for six touchdowns and four hundred and sixteen yards. You're going to get Joe Burrow comparisons yep. because that that's the kind those are the kind of numbers Burrow put up. And and you know, I, I think he's going to struggle to do that on it, to do that kind of efficiency on a, on a week to week basis. But that doesn't mean he's not going to be a lot better. And I think you know, obviously, um, you know hey, look, of this is a different offense.
0: And this is a different offense too. He's not even going to be even asked to do that as much as Joe Burrow was, in my in my opinion. I don't know. After what we saw the other day, they might, they might decide
1: to open it up <laughs> That's a little true. bit. Right? That's true. I mean, to heck with running it and gaining five yards. Right. You can chuck it and gain 36. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, it was just boom, boom, boom. Explosive plays all over the place, actually on both sides of the ball. But, you know, you had the 50-yard rush for Tony. There was a 23-yard run for Davis, a 22-yard run for Emory Jones, and it, pretty much everything else was in the passing game um, when, it, when it came to explosive plays. I mean, the 71-yarder to Pitts is the one you remember, but there was a really, really nice um, I, I, touchdown pass. It was a back shoulder throw to Grimes. Oh, yeah. They actually didn't show the replay, but I mean, that, that was just a bullet. Uh, but actually, and,
0: and if people want to go to my Twitter now, Jordan Rogers pointed out the same thing. Uh, he, he said, you know, that is a throw where you, in a way, most quarterbacks would put some air under it. And he said, "The." the throw Trask made it to put velocity on it because from where Trask was, I think from where Trask was in his release to where Grimes was, I think was at the six or seven yard line. And then from release to throw, that's when the throw got into the end zone. So, yeah. it, and so he, and Jordan Rogers was lauding that. He's like, look, I didn't put him in the Heisman conversation. and Or he goes, if I, I put him in the Heisman conversation and, and people's, uh, comeback was his arm strength. He goes well. Here's the play that's going to kind of put that to rest. He goes, it's not elite arm strength, but this right here shows he has enough.
1: Yeah, the two back shoulder throws were just gorgeous. The one, the one to Grimes was really nice, but the one to Pitts was even nicer. Sort of leading him away oh, from the double
0: team. We'll get into that um, one. Yeah, <laughs> you
1: know, and and then he was he was really good at waiting for Tony on those throws across the middle on third down. That's one of the things that's really interesting about that Tony and Pitts combination. I'm really interested to see how they utilize some of the other receivers, because you've got Pitts, who's going to occupy the middle of the field deep. You've got Tony, who's going to occupy the middle of the field sort of, you know, yeah. five or six yards from the line of scrimmage. And if you play zones, you're going to get drilled somewhere somewhere. And if you play man to man, you're not going to be able to cover either one of those guys. So if if shorter or Grimes or or Copeland or, you know, Whittemore or somebody else can prove to be an elite threat outside, this offense really takes a step forward just because of the matchup problems that the skills of Pitts and Tony bring to the table.
0: Yeah, so will uh, everybody who knew who listens to Gators Breakdown knows I, I am a huge fan of what happens right before halftime and what happens right after halftime, and, and I, I probably listen to coaches too much uh, on that. But hey, look, that was the difference in this game when you go and look at the final score and 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 the two touchdowns that they put. Uh, on the board right before halftime, right after halftime. So uh, I'll dive into those drives uh, just a little bit. Kind of expands on what we were kind of discussing here. So Florida's up 21-14 with a minute 54 in the first half. First and 10 on their own 19. Pierce drops the pass. And this is kind of where I want to go, you know, Trask, not, not panicking. Uh, There's still plenty of time on the clock. It's 2nd and 10. uh, And you bounce right back, uh, 2nd and 10. Xavier Henderson gets his first career reception. And on that play, Trask is in the backfield by himself. No one opened originally. He runs to his left, keeps his eyes downfield, pumps fake, pump fakes, and and then finds Henderson uh, for a gain of nine. Next play, 3rd and 1. Trask runs for uh, a slow one yard and then gets it uh, there. So uh, Florida converts there. So 1st and 10 at the 29, Trask gets pressured. Uh, on the drop, uh, on the drop back from both ends, uh, moves up in the pocket, runs to his left, gets hits as he throws. A little bit of a scary play there, you know. As he's taking a hit and, and the ball flutters incomplete. Uh, but you know, once again, bounces back. Second and ten, uh, trash moves up in the pocket, check down to Malik Davis, and here we go, Will. That's what we we're ta- talking about. And Davis jukes a defender out of his shoes. You know something we've wanted to see since 2017 is a Malik Davis move like that that gets a first down uh, for, for the Gators. So, and after that, it was on. Uh, first and ten uh, at the at the Florida 44. Pete pitts beats his man uh, on the outside with a slant that goes for 21 yards to so the old miss 35 with 25 seconds left in the first half pitts was held on, on that drive or on that play it wasn't called it didn't matter trask with great plus placement over the defender pitts plucks it out of the air setting up uh, the Gators for points here send in first and 10 old miss 35 trask feels some pressure from his right scoots up and then you know goes and finds Pitts again coming back to the ball after a scramble uh, and getting another 19 yards. And then that play, Will, you're talking about from uh, the 16-yard line. I mean, Trav's best throw of the day, probably one of his best throws of his career uh, there. First and 10, 12 seconds left. You know – probably one play uh, before you got to kick a field goal if you don't get this. Trask drops back, throws left, and that beauty to Pitts as he's covered by two old Miss defenders. Ball's placed where only Pitts can catch it, low and away from the defenders, right at the goal line for a touchdown. I mean, that just might be the best ball placement throw he's had. Reminded me of that South Carolina throw against uh, against South Carolina last year where he threw threw to Freddie Swain uh, open for a touchdown, uh, if people remember that one. So, I mean, it's – I mean, 16-yard touchdown, that, that drive, eight plays, 81 yards, taking 149 off the clock, leaving only five seconds left on the clock and giving the Gators a two-touchdown lead going into halftime. And, look, uh, I know Will, we we'll get to the defense in a minute. I know we can throw the defense under the bus in this game, but in situational football there, they were able to force Ole Miss to a three-and-out, give the ball to the offense, and the offense makes that happen.
1: Yeah, I mean so you know, the back shoulder throw specifically reminded me of the throw that Burrow made against Texas. It was mm. it, oh, last yeah. year it was it was more in the middle of the field, but it was still something where it the receiver wasn't open, the quarterback threw the receiver open, which is something that I think, you know, is is obviously a positive sign. You know, I, I think the, the defense is interesting because they got them to turn the ball over on downs on the first drive, and that was sort of a dink and dunk drive for Ole Miss. They were able to get first downs, able to go down the field, but eventually get them to turn the ball over on downs. Florida comes down, scores a touchdown. Ole Miss obviously comes back and scores again. Then Emory Jones throws the interception. Florida does give up a big play on a trick play, but then are able. You know, Cox made two big plays—a a play in the back, you know, play behind the line of scrimmage. But then also a, uh, a tip pass that gets intercepted. So Florida's up 14-7 when they really could have been down, you know, 17-7 to or could have been down, you know – even 21 to seven and the defense was able to hold there a couple of times you mentioned the three and out that came well it was four plays after a punt for florida and then florida scored the touchdown to go 21 to 14 and then the three and out to give them enough time to be able to drive down the field to score at the end of the half and then you mentioned on both sides you know you score going in you deferred so you get the ball back and all of a sudden it's 35 14 in the game for all intents and purposes, was over at that point, right? Yep. Um. And and yeah, <laughs> the defense kind of played like it after that, but <laughs> at the same time, um. You know, I I think the defense made enough stops to allow the offense to be able to to take advantage. And you if, know, you're hey,
0: go- if, if you're going to stink, at least be good in situations. And that, and that's what happened.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, again,
0: I think. It's an interesting, I'm
1: sure we'll get to the defense a little bit more, but they were poor in specific spots, but you can see a framework for a defense that's going to be a lot better. And I I think that's sort of maybe the thing that, that I hold on to after this one is, sure, they weren't very good in this one, but at the same time, you could see the potential, you could see the framework for them to get better. And that's obviously going to have to happen because you're not going to be able to give up offensive performances like this against teams like X, uh, Texas A&M and, and, and LSU and Georgia. But at the same time, you can see the path to get better, and I think they're going to see improvement pretty quickly.
0: And we'll kind of go on one, one of your points before we do move on to the defense here. And you were kind of talking about the, the receivers and, and how the, you know they'll be able to fit on the field, where it'd be pits. Uh, anywhere on the field, basically Tony within you know five or six, and any somebody else going on the outside, and, and there's intermediate routes here. And but you know also I want, I want to kind of look at the and the running backs' you know ability to catch the ball. And you know I, I, some of these formations that we saw against Ole Miss, I wasn't sure we, we would necessarily see mm-hmm. sir so early on without Michael Pirine out there. But you had running backs lining up out wide or either motioning out wide like we saw P. Ryan. I saw Pierce do that a couple of times and, and Davis and, and and Wright as well. And look, you know Malik Davis as you mentioned, three catches and that one nasty juke uh, mentioned before. Wright had another big time juke session in one of his receptions there for 20, uh, 25 yards. And in one game Will, we saw a lot of versatility on the offense that was inside of the big day uh, for, for, from the cows here. So Tony playing physical, running routes, taking handoffs and hitting big plays, running backs in the passing game, and and I like seeing this early on because with everything this offense can do, it's going to be hard to like. kind of go into your point to completely just shut it down with all the ways they can attack the field here. So, you know, look, there will be a day when the passing game struggles a bit to, to come out and start. And, you know, it, it may take, you know, these types of plays from Tony and the running backs, you know, these simple plays uh, to get the offense going here. And much like much like the kind of South Carolina game last year, you know, it took kind of that big run from Damian Pierce to kind of, you know, open up the offense a, a bit and, and, and tries to start hitting some big plays uh, in the passing game. So, you know, if the, if the passing game is humming, then much like the Ole Miss game, You you keep this in your arsenal to keep defenses off balance. But uh, I think there will come a time now, from what we saw versus Ole Miss, there are enough things in this offense to where if the pass game is struggling, they can find something to open it up a bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think the passing game opened up because the running game was a threat. I mean, that was one of the things that I think we did learn. Obviously, you got the 50-yard run from Tony where he got hit in the hole, was able to shake it off and, and continue going. At the same time, you had Pierce with 54 yards rushing, Davis with 49 yards rushing, Emory Jones with 37. The whole team finishes with 196 yards rushing. And if you look at 2019, the opening game, they had 27 attempts for 52 yards. So obviously an improvement over the game in Miami. But even if, if you get rid of the Tennessee-Martin game, Florida did not run for more than 160 yards in a game until the Virginia game Ooh. and they put 196 on Old Miss in the opener with you know some new starters on the offensive line and then Ethan White on the sidelines so I think from the standpoint of why the offense has the ability to take take a step forward that's one of the reasons and The the announcers specifically called out Kyle Pitts blocking as well. I thought he was pretty good, too, on the outside. At least he was good enough that he wasn't a liability. And and that's a big deal, right, to be able to – when you looked at the offensive line play for last year, it was funny. You'd see, like, three guys do their job and two guys get blown up. And it was never the same two. So as much as people wanted to complain about DeLance or as much as people wanted to complain about Blake or as much as they wanted to complain about Buchanan, it wasn't always that guy. And what I saw yesterday was every once in a while you'd see a guy miss an assignment, miss a block, not be physical enough, those sorts of things. But it was not systemic. It was not something where two or three guys were doing it on every play. That's going to improve. And, and so, you know, we, we talked last year sort of the baseline offensive line performance that we were confident that Hevesy was going to have them playing much better than that by the end of the year. And we didn't really see that progress until they had the month off for the bowl game against Virginia. Um, but I know they were making progress the entire time. It's just we didn't really see it until that bowl game against Virginia. I suspect we're going to see the same thing this year. So the offensive line is going to – this is their baseline. And if this is their baseline, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where this team is in, in December and January because the reality is, is the offensive line, the way it played in 2018 in its opener, probably pretty close to where this offensive line played today or played the other day. And if they're where, they're where they were against Michigan back in 2018 mm-hmm. by the end of the year, this is going to be a really good offense because they're gonna, you're not going to know what they're going to do, right? You can get Damian Pierce up the gut for seven yards. You can get Kyle Trask chucking it out to Tony coming across the middle. You can get Trask going deep to Pitts once you start playing pits deep he just runs a little curl and all of a sudden you got to tackle him 15 <laughs> yards downfield and if they get anybody on the outside who you know i think Grimes really has the ability to be that guy if they got a guy who can who could really be a burner on the outside who can who can just take the top off the defense um, I think this could be, I mean, obviously 51 points. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to tell you this is going to be a fun offense to watch. But there's the caveat, and everyone keeps bringing this up, particularly Georgia fans, that, well, it was old Miss. They're not really all that good. But look at the skill level of the offensive players that they have on there. And and it's significant. And having a guy who gets it in the right place really makes a difference. It's it's one of the things I think Georgia fans over the last couple years have looked at Jake Fromm and wanted a little bit more. But they would have taken anything to have Jake Fromm back on Saturday <laughs> because it, turn, cause it turns out that sometimes a guy who throws the ball to the right guy all the time is is an important piece to the puzzle. You're not always going to have Tua. You're not always going to have Burrow. But Trask is starting to prove that he's not just a game manager. And the combination of that, along with all the guys they've got on offense, if they have an improved offensive line, is is really going to be fun to watch.
0: I Will. Anything else on the offense before we move on, man, to the other side of the not-so-fun ball right now?
1: I mean, the only thing I would say is that from the standpoint, I thought it was really interesting that in the first quarter, Mullen went 10 rush attempts and 8 pass attempts. Mm-hmm. And, and then he said, to hell with it. <laughs> <laughs> and had 18 pass attempts to 4 rush attempts in the, in the second quarter. <laughs> you know, you end up at the end of the day, 45 passes and 29 rushes. It's the same spread he had last year. So even though the offensive line was playing better, even though they had the ability to run the ball. I think he believes, I think this is indicative that he believes the best opportunity for Florida to move the ball is to put the ball in Kyle Trask's hands. And that's really, really fun because that has not happened in Gainesville since 2009.
0: And, and you know what, and, Will, and, and I hate to keep harping on it and bringing it up, that's the difference between Kyle Trask and Felipe Franks, you know, when you, when you go back and look at it. I, I think Florida still tried to run the ball too much with Felipe Franks. You know, it was same, mostly the same offense. Still stuck with the run uh, a bit too much because I'm not sure that whole trust was there like you see in Kyle Trask right now.
1: Yeah, it does make you wonder what was going on in practice that Trask wasn't in there sooner. But, you know, the other thing is, and, and we mentioned this last year, that... Frank's had really, I think, gained the locker room because of the way he had yeah. handled the the situation with McElwain leaving and being thrown under the bus after the Michigan game and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, to, for Mullen to come in and just replace him was going to be a hard sell for all those guys who'd sort of who'd, who'd taken the bullets along with Frank's during the during the four and seven season. The injury obviously opens up the opportunity for Trask to come in. But, you know, all credit to Trask. He's taken yep. advantage of it and done more than that, right? It, he has not just been a backup quarterback who's playing well. He, he's the starter at the University of Florida because he's earned it. And he is—and he's playing better than anybody in the SEC right now. And I'm not sure any of us would have foreseen that in August of last year. But that's where we are now. And, and man,
0: it's good to have a quarterback. Oh, man. Feels so good. Feels so good. So good. All right. We'll get to the other side of the ball. But before we do, remember – you can go bet at my bookie. Football is back. MLB playoffs and the NBA finals are also starting, which can only mean one thing. It's winning season at my bookie. A game is 10 times more exciting when you put money on it. Sometimes you have a gut feeling about a matchup, or sometimes you just want to bet your team because they're your team. Hey, if you bet farted this week, you're sweating there toward the end, uh, but, 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 you got it. but you got that uh, point spread uh, heading your way if you uh, took it for the Gators. But regardless, whether you've been betting for years or, or you're ready to play for the first time, MyBookie is your best bet to bet this season. With the biggest online selection of bets and props, they've made it simple to win and easy to withdraw your cash. Right now, MyBookie has a $100,000 super contest for only a $10 entry, and they're giving away $5,000 in cash prizes every four weeks. You would be crazy not to invest your sports knowledge with that kind of potential return on your investment. $10 to win thousands is a no-brainer. Sign up at my bookie and use promo code Gators and you can grab a free $20 wager with your first deposit to bet on anything in the sports book. It's an easy way to jumpstart your bankroll. College football, NFL, NBA, and MLB, they've got it all on tap and it's never too late to get started on your winning season only at my bookie. So will yeah, we've had we have hit on the defense uh, a bit here. Um, But, you know, I kind of want to maybe take it uh, level by level Uh, right here. You know, defensive line, linebacker, uh, defensive backs here. And, yeah, overall, I think the defensive line played okay. Uh, Ends, lost contained probably too many times, allowing Corral to run free and convert third downs no matter if Florida rushed Three, four, five. I know that's the biggest complaint up, but there. Are too many three, three down linemen rushing. Uh, it, it just, that wasn't the only problem. If Florida rushed four, Florida rush five, it, it happened. So, uh, and so it was. It was a problem. The, the whole the whole defense was a problem. Uh, held up nice in the middle. I, I thought for for most of the day, uh, and I thought that bled over into helping Ventrell Miller to to rack up some tackles as far as the linebackers goes. Oh, man. It, I think you and I, you and I both mentioned it here in, in watching the game and, and talking back and forth uh, on, on Saturday. Disappointed in the physicality and aggressiveness uh, in, in, in some of the players. But, you know, Amari Burney, uh big fan of his, but – Man, I think we, we we'd always wondered how he fit in at linebacker. You know, I came away unimpressed uh, through this game, and I don't want to harp on a player too much, but uh, you know if they're doing everything they can to make a play. But there were a few times where I, I just I, I didn't feel like we were getting that from Bernie and, and some players out there. I and mean, I know the tempo and the window dressing from Lane Kiffin can can leave defenders guessing and reacting too much, playing a little bit slow. But you know, too many times did, and Bernie's one of these guys. You know, just didn't chase the play or, or shed the blocks. Um, um, on a third and five run by Corral in, in the second half of the game linebacker david reese was spying in position to make a tackle short corral ran right through him to get six yards and, and convert another third down with his legs you know so in Kyrie Elam mentioned it and i'll get into that a little bit too but you know quote right here he so, said so I just like to see you know for me i just like to see the defense come out and play quote from Kyrie Elam pissed off because that's exactly what he said when he was went there when he was watching the film that's exactly what he felt like watching it
1: yeah, I mean, I, I I would hope that a defensive back who goes back and watches that film feels a little <laughs> bit ticked. Um, you're certainly not going to be making many DBU arguments after no. that one, that's for sure. I mean, you look at you look at Old Miss. They had nine explosive plays, nine plays of twenty plus yards. They had four plays over fifth over forty five yards, um, and eight of the nine were pass plays one was a 20 yard run for corral on the uh on the last touchdown oh. drive of the game for them so yeah it was ugly right it was it was ugly I think if you look at the positives I think Cox looked explosive at times and looked like somebody who has the potential to take over the game um Gravon Dexter you saw him a little bit in the first half particularly with the interception didn't see a whole lot of them mm-hmm. in the second half it seemed to either disappear or they didn't have him out there um Marlon Dunlap played pretty well up the middle. Zach Carter flashed but didn't necessarily um, – wasn't consistent. I think that's maybe – when you look at the defensive line, I would say that the grade there is inconsistent, right? Yeah. That that there were plays where they drove Ole Miss into the backfield and just completely blew up the play. And then guys like Steiner and guys like Ventrell Miller were able to come in and just absolutely clean up, which obviously is a big part of the game, but they didn't do that on a consistent basis. The – you know, I mentioned earlier the offensive line last year that sort of it wasn't just one guy screwing up. It was three guys screwing up, which meant that, you know, the whole thing fell apart. It was like a house of cards. Like one guy maybe you get away with, two or three you can't. And, um, you know, the linebackers weren't real good in coverage. I think that's one of the things yeah. that you could say. There was a there was a big play, I think, to uh, Yaboa that got hit right down the middle
0: over Ventrell Miller. He was he was there. He just wasn't able to, able to knock it down. I will, yeah, I will speak. At least it's good to see a linebacker that could – almost kind of keep up with him and it was there i mean david reese wouldn't have been able to do that you know so hopefully it bleeds over into more success and kind of that scenario
1: yeah there were way too many guys running free yeah right i mean i think that's the thing that you sort of look at is you can deal with there was a play where there was a a long throw i think it was to Moore up the sideline and and donovan steiner was there and and Moore just went and got the ball. Mm-hmm. I think you live with that, right? Moore is a good player. He's he's a really good wide receiver. Donovan Steiner has struggled sometimes in pass protect or in pass uh, pass defense. Well, Looks so for the ball. You, look, well, for and, the ball. Absolutely, but at the same time, right? Like he's in position yeah. and that and that one uh that one's excusable. The one that's not is the first touchdown yeah. where he got caught looking in the backfield and all of a sudden the he you know, he was responsible for the deep middle of the field and all of a sudden the ball's going to the deep middle of the field and he's nowhere to be found. That's one where um, he's he's not going to like film study when
0: they, when they look at that play.
1: And it's a perfect
0: it's, name for safety because Elam, admittedly, messed up uh, for for, you know, for him. And he gave up the coverage. But you know, that's why the safety is supposed to be there. So that big play doesn't happen if your corner doesn't make the play. And look, two things went wrong and a big play happens.
1: Well, again, again I sort of go back to if you look at where Florida was, they'd given up 261 yards in the first half but they had gotten the big stops they needed and all of a sudden they're up 28 to 14. They come out and they score the touchdown to make it 35 to 14 coming out of the half and you're like all right, we're going to take control. And then two plays later, old Miss scores a touchdown and, and brings it back to 35-21. You're like, "Oh, okay, this is still going to be a game." That to me was the most disappointing drive of the of the game. Yeah. Like, I can deal with the defense giving up chunk yardage plays. I can deal with the defense doing, you know, it's the first there was a play where the defensive line got occupied in fact it was the second play of that drive where the defensive line basically got blocked hat on a hat and then um, was well, Ole Miss know, the, the first
0: defensive. Ole Miss's first drive after halftime right after Florida had scored right yeah so, so what you're hit, hoping is okay you go into halftime you make your adjustments and you the big plays don't happen and they happen right away
1: well I, So there's a few things there. I'm not sure. So Corral hit a a 57-year pass to Elijah Moore coming right out. It's right down the middle. Moore's wide open. Marco Wilson was playing the star, and and Rashad Torrance was playing. Safety, it's unclear to me who didn't know what they were doing, but two guys played zone and one guy did not, and so I'm not entirely sure. I'll
0: tend to probably side with Marco being the experienced guy, but as you said, it's hard to tell.
1: You, you don't know yeah. without knowing the call. So you're going to look yeah. and say, hey, the young guy probably screwed it up. But I remember a couple of years ago against Michigan where when Florida got drilled in 2017, um, Sean Davis got blamed for getting beat deep on yeah. a play that was Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's fault. And it had to do with the way the routes were set up. And Michigan actually did a really nice job on that play of confusing people. And it was sort of the same thing with this particular play. This was something where the receivers were asked to do something that you can understand why a f- true freshman starting his first game would jump a route and it would leave somebody else open so that one okay the next one's the one that becomes problematic which is that you know all I've heard all off season is that Torrance is a big hitter and you oh, know the, yeah. the defensive line gets occupied he's surrounded by Marco Wilson, Torrance and I believe Steiner and they all whiffed in fact I think they hit each other harder than they hit Ely, <laughs> and then Ely goes in for the touchdown and you know so two plays later it takes you know 36 seconds for them to go down and score and all the, all the sort of joy and energy that had come from hitting pits for that touchdown immediately wears off and then Florida gets the ball back and, and has to go back the other direction. So that that was the big thing. That was the drive where I looked at and said, oh, okay, this isn't just they were being a little bit, a little bit lackadaisical in the first half and we're going to fix some things. That was the point where I went, all right, we probably have some problems. Now, again, I mean Sean Davis and Brad Stewart were starting safeties last year. I mean, granted, they had four guys that they rotated in and out. But three of those guys were gone yesterday, right, or oh. on Saturday because Davis was out, Stewart was out, and then Juwan Taylor wasn't in there either. So the only guy from last year was Steiner, and obviously he's somebody who's struggled in in, in pass defense and, and did again. So I do think that when you bring those guys back into the fold, it's going to make a difference. Same thing with uh, – um, you know, with having Campbell up there up front, right? That's going to make a difference. There are guys that they're going to be able to get back on the defensive side of the ball who will make a difference. But if all we're doing is waiting for guys to come back, um... That's problematic because yeah. at some point we're going to have injuries, and if this is what you get when you have a couple of injuries and a targeting penalty, then then, then the team's going to be in trouble because – Oh, yeah, because I can bet
0: that's probably not going to be the last targeting ejection on the season.
1: <laughs> well, and, and irrespective – well, so it's interesting. That was one where I actually – I think most people think he shouldn't have been ejected. Yeah. Based on the rule, I think he should have been because it was, he didn't need to do it. Right, like he's coming across the middle. It didn't feel like a bang-bang play.
0: It felt like a little bit extra. I thought Elon may have helped it a little bit, but. Nah. Well, you, you can't get away with that in college football yeah. these Oh, days, no, right? you can't. I think it's a and dumb rule, but.
1: Well, but again, you are the upperclassman who knows your backup is a true freshman. Yeah. You know Stewart's out. And and all of a sudden and I know he didn't like the call and he tweeted about it from the locker room But tweeting about it and even if it was a bad call doesn't help us out, right? Like the the reality is is that you need to be out there and he will be next game So we'll be able to see whether that makes a difference yeah, you know, I remember the Colts a few years ago had a guy named Bob Sanders who was one of their safeties, and it was when Peyton Manning was, was you know, I think it was the year he won the Super Bowl with the Colts, and, and Bob Sanders, when he was out, the Colts' defense was absolutely horrid, and the minute Bob Sanders came back, the defense was just fantastic, and I don't think Sean Davis is that type of player. At the same time, that particular team sort of illustrated to me how important safety play can be, and how critical it is to have a guy back there who you trust and can rely on you know the good news is is that florida got a win walt torrence was back there learning on the job Yep. obviously it'll be nice to see sean davis back there in in critical situations coming forward
0: yeah and i do wonder uh kind of and i'll get into some you know what we want to see this week as well but um, While well, we didn't see more of Trey Dean uh, back there as well, when he he made a couple nice plays in, in in run stop, but didn't see him a lot in the busted plays, pass coverage types. So uh, maybe he just got lucky by not being out there, <laughs> or, or 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 we'll or we'll see maybe this coming up week. But uh, so
1: the, the other thing I do want to say is if you went if you go back and look at Florida's defense last year, they had one or two busted coverages in almost oh, yeah. every game. Yeah, almost every game. I completely agree. And they got lucky real early in the year. Tennessee, mm-hmm. Guarantano completely missed one. Vanderbilt we had, a, had a lot of... Field. Vanderbilt no, had a couple. FSU. Georgia, Georgia hit the game against Cager. Yeah. FSU, ah, come on. No, I'm just saying, no, I'm oh, just saying the, th- th-
0: those plays were there. The, well, the and so Ole Miss made them, right? Yeah. I mean,
1: Corral hit them. He didn't miss one guy who was open deep, and it wasn't like he w- they were waiting for the ball to come. I mean, he was hitting them in stride. So you had a quarterback who was hitting the big play, a defense that has given up or at least has shown a propensity to have blown coverages in the past, and Ole Miss took advantage. So I've heard a lot of people talking about Ole Miss being one of the better offenses Florida's going to play. It's absolutely true, right? They hit those plays. You go and, you know, even if you think about Frank's two years ago in in 2018, Florida would get behind the defense and he'd just throw it a little bit too hard and throw it over beyond the outstretched hands of his guy. Corral didn't do that. He hit every guy he could, and and when there was an opportunity, he hit it. His anticipation was great. The on the on the first touchdown pass, the receiver wasn't past Steiner left when he let it go. He knew exactly where he was going. And he knew he had him beat, and you could see it. It was a really cool view from for for Ole Miss fans, I guess, from behind the you know the the camera that they've got there that's flying behind the behind the line of scrimmage. So. Um, you know, I think you got to tip your cap to Corral a little bit. The fact that he didn't miss any of those, you know, if he misses two of them, yeah. this game is, you know, 51 to 20. And and we're talking about, you know, Florida not having any holes and being bulletproof. But it's easy how it, it's you forget those things right when all of those things get hit. So I do think that's part of it is that every team they play is not going to hit every big play they're going to get some guys back on the back end i think guys like cox and dexter and carter and dunlap are going to get stronger as the season goes along assuming they can stay healthy there's a path for this team to be a good defensive team i think one of the things that you probably take out of the game against Ole miss though is there's probably not a path for this to be an elite defensive team which means the offense is really going to have to do the yeoman's work to pull them to a to a title now we just saw that last year right that that a Special offense can take a defense that's eh, okay, but not great, and and drag them to a title. But that's not something you can do every year. And so, you know, Trask is going to have to keep his keep his foot down on the accelerator, just just like everybody else, because there's probably going to be another game or two where the offense is going to have to um, pick up the defense, and then hopefully that one game where the offense turns the ball over a couple of times or something like that, the defense will be able to step up.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I I, I hate hot take week one but this is a hot take against myself. Like, I, I really thought going into the season that this defense – I didn't think they would be on Lee. I thought they would be knocking on the door of it. I thought this would be a very good defense. I do, I am tempering my expectations a bit now after what we saw Saturday, and I hate doing that after one game. But it, So I'm saying it may be a hot take. I, I'm still kind of holding that reservation. I still think they'll be good, probably just not as good as I thought they would be. I, I had high, high hopes for this defense. And look, I mean – and hopefully it's just not lip service. You know, Elam comes out, he talks to the media today and says they're not making any excuses with the performance. And, you know, other players and the coaches feel the same way. Uh, as I said, they went on to say that, you know, that they were pissed off watching the film. So you, you you hope that's not lip service. You hope that's exactly uh, the way they feel there. And, you know, I do think some of it's excusable, but not to the tune of giving up 600 yards So with, with the players out and and, and how and how how the – you know, avalanche of big play after big play after big play uh, just kept, just kept coming along. Will you know? Hey, look, another game coming up this weekend to get corrected. Uh, South Carolina helps there. I mean, this this you know that offense is not going to stretch and have you guessing like Lane, Lane Kiffin and Old Misses uh, offense did. So I mean, there's just a couple, of, a few improvements here, kind of to, to look out for as I think we, that we want to see is first improvement for me is mental. You know, play play mad like Elon brought up, You know, play the game with a purpose out there. Get lined up in time for the snap. If that's something South Carolina identifies this week, that say, hey, you know, early in the game, Florida just couldn't get lined up. Maybe we can get a, a few cheap plays, a few cheap yards here uh, along the way and maybe that you know, that's probably the first thing is get mentally right going into this game against South Carolina
1: yeah I mean I think the South Carolina game is interesting because if Florida throws up a donut on the defensive side of the ball all the Florida fans will be like so what it was South Carolina and must champ right like we expect yeah. we expect the zero up there if they struggle I think that tells you something about the defense probably more than a than a successful um, defensive performance does and um, you know, I, I think I did not have the expectations that the defense was going to be special. What I expected was that they I didn't expect it to feel as dead as it did. It felt it just didn't feel like there was a ton of intensity even after some of the big hits. I mean, when Ventrell Miller absolutely destroyed the running back after Zach Carter pushed his guy back and cleared open the lane for him, you kind of expected that to get the juices flowing and for the defense to pick up the intensity. It just didn't feel like there was a whole lot of intensity. And I think that's maybe the one thing that, you know, you can deal with guys getting beat and and that sort of stuff. If it feels like there's a ton of intensity while that's happening, didn't necessarily feel like that. So that's what I hope to see is I just hope to see guys with, with a higher level of intensity, holding each other accountable, making sure that they fix the miscommunications. So that if a guy, you know, if there's one-on-one coverage somewhere, Hey, at least you've got one guy on him that they're not just roaming free with nobody around. Um, You know, the, Again though, I go back to I think Old Miss is a pretty good offensive team. Mm-hmm. I think Corral didn't miss any of those throws. The only thing he did wrong was that haircut. And <laughs> you, you know, so so but again the other thing is it was thirty-five to fourteen. Yeah. And at thirty five to fourteen, I think it's natural to let your foot up off the gas. And once you let your foot up on the gas and sort of let Old Miss feel like, all right, we're still in this after they have that quick drive, you know, Florida comes down and gets a field goal, then Ole Miss comes down and misses a field goal. Florida gets another field goal. Now you're up 20 points. The defense is like, all right, we're going to the fourth quarter. We're up 20 points. This isn't going to be a problem. And, and, you know, Ole Miss kind of kept striking, but at no point was the game really in danger. The only place maybe you could say is the last touchdown drive for Florida, where it was forty-four to twenty-nine, and and they get the roughing the passer penalty that I think is a little bit mm. dubious there. Yeah, and it keeps the keeps the drive going, and then the Ole Miss crowd, to their credit, was very very consistent and able to keep the bo- the booze going the entire mm. drive after after that call. But once Florida scores that touchdown, the game's put away. You know, maybe if Florida punts there, Corral throws another deep one, they get burned, and all of a sudden it's, you know, 44 to 36. Things pucker up a little bit, and and the game ends up looking a lot closer. But, you know, 35 to 14 after the first drive of the half, that's one of those where you kind of feel like you're going to coast at
0: home. And for the most part, Florida did. Yep, I kind of finished it off here. You know, I want leaders and experience uh, to, to, to step up here. You know, Sean Davis being back out there players like Marco Wilson, Donovan Steiner, who've played a lot of football for the skater team, uh, you know, the bust and lack of effort, like you kind of like you were saying, the inexcusable there, and kind of just the, the way they approached the game uh, a bit, and that was kind of the way, you know, Kyrie Elam kind of spoke about it again uh, today. And, you know, I want to see some of the players that didn't play as much get out there after they made some good plays. As I mentioned, Trey Dean, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Jervon Dexter, you know, just kind of, you know, the, both of those guys will, they played late, less than 20 plays after showing some good signs, or early on. So I, I kind of do wonder why we didn't see those guys uh, later on in the game. So, you especially want to see more of Dean at safety after what we saw versus Ole Miss. And, uh, you know, he wasn't one of the ones necessarily beat for for pass coverage because he just really wasn't out there a whole lot. So, could he have made a difference? I did like some, some of the plays. He come in flying in like a missile and, and, hit, and hitting the running backs or hitting a, a short pass play uh, for, for a short game. But, um, and just, uh, I think just a couple small things that can add up to a big improvement
1: yeah I mean I think at the end of the day this is probably about as bad as defense can play yeah and still win a game at the same time, they gave up 7.9 yards per play, which would have ranked dead last last year against FBS opponents. They gave up 13.4 yards per pass, which would have ranked dead last, and it would have been dead last by about four yards of play. <laughs> four yards of pass attempt. Ole Miss averaged 54 yards per pass in the third quarter. Florida gave up nine explosive plays. I already mentioned that. And then he had 613 total yards, 395 yards passing to Matt Corral, and 443 yards, I think, total through the air because of the big play that was hit on the trick play. Oh, yeah. So you look at all that and you go, all right, we still won the game by 16 points, <laughs> right? Like I mean that that is that is almost the exact same statistical bullet points that LSU's writers are writing today. Yeah. But they lost, and it wasn't even close. I mean, I, I guess it was a 10-point game, but you know, they, they lost and really didn't even feel like they were in the game for, for the most part, or didn't feel like they were in control of the game. Yeah. Florida was in control of this game. Yeah, I never game.
0: felt like Florida was going to lose the game.
1: I mean, the only time I got a little bit worried was after the interception for Emory. They hit a big play, getting them down to the red zone. And, and very quickly, that could have been 14 to 7. But Cox makes a couple of big plays. They get the interception from Dexter after the tip. And all of a sudden, we're off the races the other direction. It's 14 to 7. And Florida never really looks back. Obviously, Ole Miss tied it at 14. But still, you know, uh, Ole Miss never led because of that particular play from the defense so as much as we're disparaging the defense they got the big turnover they got a couple of they got old missed a punt a couple of times in the the first half and then like like you said you weren't worried florida was going to lose the game you're and that's the thing right is we weren't worried about florida losing this game what we're worried about is what does what does the defensive performance mean for the games moving forward but that's the other thing i think we need to take into account is that um You know, Oklahoma was completely in control that game against Kansas State until all of a sudden there were (laughs) breakdowns everywhere on defense. You know, and and you look at LSU, I mean, that game was tied, but breakdowns all over the place and Leach having him chuck the ball all over the place. And and they just couldn't stop him again at home. So uh, Florida was not an outlier in terms of, oh, if defenses are shutting down everybody all over the country. And, you know, there are all these big breakdowns. Even when you look at Georgia with Arkansas, I mean, Franks hits that big play to start the game. All of a sudden, it's what, seven to, I guess that made it seven nothing, seven, it was nothing, seven yep. two for an extended period of time. But, you know, so in that case, there was even, you know, for a team that has an elite level defense, with you know and a lot of guys coming back still giving up a big play on a breakdown sort of early on in that game so it's one of those things where i think you know what texas gave up like 60 points so at the end of the day you escaped pretty easily on the road against an sec opponent i don't know the defense can play worse than it did if it can we're in trouble yeah and, yeah, they're not you know, that
0: bad. They're not that bad.
1: Nah, they're going to be a lot better. Again, yeah. it's it's a question of, you know, typically if you want to be a top five team, you're going to need top 10 to 15 offense, top 10 to 15 defense. If all of a sudden your defense is 30th or 40th, you're going to need a top two offense. And we had a top two offense against the whole mess. And so you can get away with all the stats I rattled off earlier about how the, how the defense was playing poorly. So if the defense ends up rebounding and sort of being where it was last year, this team, which was right, I think like 20th in yards per play, this offense is plenty good enough to keep Florida in the top five for an extended portion of the season and potentially really give Georgia a run for their money, particularly with some of the problems they were showing on quarterback this week. But. You know, if the defense is sitting in that 50th or 60th range, it's really hard to not have one game where the offense struggles and the defense just gets run through. And, you know, that'll be the concern is is sort of, you know, this is the bottom. Where is the where's the ceiling? Yeah. And then where is sort of the average? And one of these days you're going to get hit on the average or the low end of the average. The offense will have a couple of turnovers and you might get snake bit by that. So um, that might be coming. That's why you're concerned looking at this. But, again, I go back and I say 16-point win on the road in the sec after a pandemic shut down things and you have no idea what's going on and your quarterbacks being talked about, not like just by the crazies in the fan base, but like people on sec network and on college game day, your quarterbacks being talked about for the Heisman trophy. And the question that they're asking is, is Kyle Pitts so good that he's going to pull votes away (laughs) from Kyle Trask? I think we got some, we got some pretty good stuff going on
0: down there at the university of Florida. Absolutely, man! It, it is fun. It's fun talking football again. I was so glad uh, we, we get to have one of these Monday episodes here. We we have fell right back into a groove here, like uh, like we started when the season was supposed to start the first week of September. As yeah, so, here we are. We're. Uh, Talking Florida, Ole Miss, and we'll—I uh, know you'll have uh, coming up this week a reading reaction—a quick uh, preview of Florida, South Carolina. Um, not to give anything away, but uh, we we kind of discuss what we want to see on defense. Uh, but overall, what are you looking for the team? I think you know, first home game. Uh, there. It'd be South Carolina's first away game, of course. Uh, so, you know, Florida did pretty well on the, on the road last week and all the travel restrictions and all, how all that goes. You know, Florida handled that uh, pretty well, ready to play, like we said, uh, coming out and, and scoring right away. So, um, you know, overall, it's this is a South Carolina team that's played Florida pretty tough uh, in, in Dan Mullen's first two years, um, but we'll see where it goes. I think uh, I think this defense has a lot to prove, and I think the offense just kind of one that keeps humming along the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know Colin Hill played pretty well for, for South Carolina this past week. I don't know how good the defense is for Tennessee. Um, you know, again, first, first game of the year, a lot of defenses seem to be behind the offenses. I think that was true for, for both Tennessee and South Carolina. Obviously, you expect South Carolina to come out pretty hungry because they've already lost one, you know, they're, they're starting out 0-1, You figure they're going to be angry after losing that game sort of tight, especially if if they've read anything about their coach and his decision-making on on fourth down (laughs) with three minutes left. But, um, you know, they ran 35 times for 89 yards against Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee's defensive line is good enough to hold a team to that level if Florida's defense isn't going to be able to hold the team to that level. So that's, I think, where you really start to look. You know, maybe con- mm-hmm. I, I don't think Florida's defensive backs are going to all of a sudden be, be you know just locking people up. It's interesting. I do think that this does indicate. It turns out that one of our lockdown corners went to the NFL and is now playing pretty well at an NFL level. That guy's hard to replace, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so the first game out, they struggled. I, d- I don't think that they're going to be perfect when against South Carolina. But I think the one place where you look at it is 35 rushes for 89 yards for South Carolina. That's not going to get the job done against Florida. So if they can, if they can shut him down, if they can shut down the running game, then all of a sudden it starts to sit on on on. Uh Hill on Hill sorry yeah. Colin Hill and then you know you had Shai Smith who had yeah. you know 140 yards on 10 receptions so you sort of know who you need to go after on that guy too so um, yeah can't have
0: another Elijah Moore because you, you, you've already identified Smith as the guy to stop just by going by game one so yeah, you can't have another receiver just go off again
1: Yeah, and then it comes down to explosive plays. I mean, explosive plays almost always lead to touchdowns. Um, You know, only one of the explosive plays for Ole Miss was in the running game. The rest was in the pass. So what are you going to do to take those plays away? Are you going to play more two-deep safeties and make sure that you're taking that away? Are you going to change who you've got at safety? Um, Are you going to do everything the same way and just say, hey, these guys are going to learn? Or do you start deciding if your safety is going to get beat anyway, Like let's make it man to man across the board. And and let's come after him, right? And right. and that'll be that'll be interesting to see whether Grantham has decided is he just gonna start coming after the freshman and say, Hey, you can't run the ball anyway. We're gonna pin our ears back, come after you, bring some exotic blitzes, and wait for you to make a mistake. And maybe, you know, maybe you'll get my guys one on one, but maybe you'll make a mistake because of the pressure coming in your face. It's gonna be fascinating to see how Grantham sort of addresses some of the deficiencies that he sees on defense. But again, the other thing is we got all these guys coming back who may make a significant difference too i mean we mentioned stewart and and uh, and davis those guys coming back i mean if you took your top two safeties out of just about any defense in the country for the first game of the year your defensive backs are probably going to struggle and that's really what happened to florida so uh, you know i'm looking for them to stop the run against south carolina i'm looking for them to give up maybe three four five big plays through the air as opposed to nine
0: Mm -hmm. and and hopefully we can keep them below you know 400 yards Yep, yep, yep. So yep, coming up later this week, Will Gunter. I, I get him every year to to preview South Carolina. He he will join me uh, Wednesday for the uh, South Carolina preview episode. I know Will will have something up at ReadingReaction. dot com previewing Florida South Carolina. Well, that should be at what Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere under.
1: Yeah. So the the preview article will be up Wednesday. I'm actually doing something for my YouTube channel that's going to be out tonight. That's sort okay. of um, going through some of the uh, the different things that I saw there. There were some really cool. There was there was a really the the opening drive where they scored a touchdown. I thought it was really cool that they went to an NFL set to get the ball to Kyle Pitts. It was a play that you see Alabama run. It's a play that in a little bit of a different way you've seen Clemson run to beat Alabama, actually, in, for the national championship. And so to sort of see them go under center at the one-yard line mm. and then get the ball to their best player I think is significant. And, and so I've got a little something I'm going to be putting up there on the YouTube channel to, to take a look at that.
0: Yeah, I did notice uh, offense did go under center a, 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 a little bit there in some new formations that we haven't seen a whole lot uh, from Dan Mullen there.
1: Yeah, Mullen was studying while, uh,
0: <laughs> while,
1: while, while he was out on COVID. He, he talked today about Spurrier leaving him a play every right. once in a while. But, but I'll be honest, I think he was watching some NFL offenses. Mm-hmm. I think he knows what he has in his tight ends. And I, and I think one of the things that you can say is that while Pitts was an effective weapon, he was an effective weapon really as a wide receiver. Like they would split him out to get mismatches, yep. and he was good enough to be able to take advantage of it but they weren't necessarily taking advantage of him as a tight end. And I think he's watched some NFL offenses to figure out how do I take my best player who happens not to be a wide receiver and how do I get that guy open? How do I get him in one-on-one on on space? How do I take advantage of the fact that the, um, when you start using bunched formations, all of a sudden there's traffic and if you can get pits with a court, you know, on where the safety's coming across and gets caught up in traffic, I think there's an opportunity for some big plays and certainly success in the red zone when you do that, where it just makes it easy for the quarterback. And that's what you saw in that opening drive for uh, for Trask is you know the, the touchdown throw that he threw on the little play-action fake to, to Pitts. It's interesting. Not only was Pitts open, but Kamori Gamble yep. was open coming across <laughs> the middle too. So he had his choice. But clearly, I think Mullen has spent some time going back and looking and saying, how do I utilize the tight ends? And that's going to be fun because um we got a special one back there.
0: Absolutely. Ready for it, man. This is a, a after one week, I think we can say at least this season is is, is going to be fun. Uh, and, and hopefully uh, the, the wins come along with that.
1: Yeah, that's the worst part about Mondays is that it still means we got five days until yeah. next game. I know so. I'm re- I'm ready already, man. <laughs> I was that's ready for him to play
0: on Sunday, man. Like dude, to heck with this NFL stuff. Can we just play soccer <laughs> tomorrow? That'd be fun. I am ready. I am ready as well. So, all right. Yeah, I should be in Gainesville up, uh, this weekend, uh, up in the press box. So we'll see how the uh, the stands are and and, and all that. Uh, so it should be fun being back in the swamp. Won't be the same swamp, but it'd be fun to be to be back down there and uh, uh, revel in the game of football in, in the swamp.
1: Well, I fully expect you to leave the press box halfway through the, the second quarter so you can start screaming there from the, uh,
0: from the top of the stands. <laughs> They'll probably kick me out. So <laughs> and, uh, they, They're going to be strict about those COVID rules this, uh, this, this, this year. So sit in your seat with your mask on. Oh, well, you know, college football. Exactly. That's not a punishment. <laughs> no, it's funny. you know, the,
1: the interesting thing is, is you look at the, you look at, you know, basketball right now, still playing in a bubble, Major League baseball's about to go in a bubble for playoffs and, and didn't have any fans in the stands. The NFL, obviously, in some places has fans in the stands. So, you know, I think we should feel pretty fortunate to be able to go and, and sit in the stands and watch a game. It sounds like there's still some tickets available. Yeah. If I was allowed to go into the state of Florida without having to quarantine before coming back to work, I would be finding a way to make my way down there. But uh, um, but yeah, if you have an opportunity I'd head out. It's one of those times where I think the team certainly can use the support and can use people there in the stands. And, you know, just considering the limitations in other sports, the the NHL was also in a bubble or still in a bubble as they're finishing up. So, you know, this no. is one of those things where it's a special
0: thing that football is allowing fans into the stands. If you have the opportunity, man, I I'd, I'd do it. Yeah, that's like Mullah said today. It's it is kind of some sense of normalcy. Yeah, it may not be 90,000 Fans cheering their head off, but you know you're in the swamp in September or October when that game uh, kicks off against South Carolina. You know it's about as close to normal as you could be for for 2020, uh, watching a college football game in the swamp in October. So uh, yeah, it won't be the same, but uh, it, it it's it's close to normal. And look, I, I know watching it on TV, it, it didn't hit me at all that the crowd. You know in, until they showed the crowd, you know I was like, okay, yeah, of course, yeah. There's no there's no fans in the stands, but. Watching the uh, watching the twenty two on the field, it, did, it didn't feel any different.
1: No, nah, that's one of the cool parts about footballs. Until they show like the the sort of field level fo- yeah. photo where the stands are empty and yeah. it's a little bit jarring. But you, you really and and when it doesn't get really loud on a third down, right? And and you know you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. This we're in the middle of a pandemic. But um, all all I can say is that you know they're they're supposedly not allowing tailgating. So I'm sure that that'll prevent everyone from being out there. So just make sure that when you drink, that you stumble away from the tailgate party to pass out so that you can be (laughs) properly socially distanced. That's the Will
0: Miles tip to live by for the uh, tailgating experience. Oh uh, yeah, I think the Armada Wood, We we have we have uh, found a lot across campus. So uh, so it turns out the rules that they pass only prevent you from doing it on on the campus on property. On campus Is that property. The, yep. Yeah, there you yeah. go, man. So uh, it, yeah, it won't be as large of a group, of course, and uh, we're going to control it a little bit. But uh, they're they're still going to play their music, do some thunder, and uh, tailgate like crazy. Hey, man. Gator football,
1: nothing like it, and uh, you know that, that's a special place. So I hope everybody, everybody who can gets out there and supports the
0: team and, and has a good time and returns to normal a little bit. All right, that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, ReadAndReaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at dave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.